0: You ever notice how uh, people who are self-righteous, they don't know that they're self-righteous. People who are self-righteous are rarely self-aware. I I knew people in college who were kind of like these super Christians. They were always going to church and praying and they were reading the Bible and and they were fasting and and they were also telling everybody about it. Doing the humble brag thing, like I missed my quiet time today. I only did it like six times this week and not seven. And with those comments, there would also come a lot of judgment for what other people on campus were choosing to do with their time, like you know, like partying. Self-righteousness, it doesn't really look good on anybody, does it? But people who are self-righteous are, are, are rarely self-aware. Before we get all self-righteous about the self-righteous, I have a confession to make. I can be like that sometimes too what happens is that uh, we believe we're right about something and then we internalize that until it becomes a part of our identity. And so any view that you hold when it's part of your identity and, and then you meet people who don't share your view, well, they, they become their beliefs too. And when, when I'm being self-righteous, I can think there's something that's like righter about me than what's right about you. And, and when that happens, we automatically dismiss not only their view but but like them because I'm right and you're unright I'm righteous and you are unrighteous. when a view about anything becomes an excuse to be disrespectful or dismissive to another person, you, you, you may be right but you're not righteous and that's according to Jesus. And so today we are finishing up our series called Investigating Jesus, how we know and why we follow. And and a nod of thanks to Andy Stanley and North Point Community Church for their help in thinking through this topic, this series. We've been asking questions about Jesus, trying to understand who the real Jesus is. And, And one of the questions has been, why would we follow a guy living in total poverty, who was a carpenter, who was crucified, by Rome, why would we follow him? And why would we worship him? Why would we worship him? The the credibility of Christianity rises and falls on the identity of a single person, Jesus of Nazareth. And if you're considering faith for the first time, or if you're reconsidering it, or if you're deconstructing, or if you're thinking about leaving the faith altogether, there's one question that's most important. It's the starting point for the Christian faith. And that question is this, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? Because if even one of those accounts is reliable, then we need to pay attention. In, in this series, we're looking at the gospel of Luke. And, and right at the beginning, Luke says, I'm not writing a religious document. I'm definitely not writing a Bible, he says, he's, he's not sitting at a table dreaming something up. He tells us right up front that he's trying to document someone's life. Luke chapter one says like this, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now, something happened is what he's saying. And it's not just for us and our generation, but God has done something for the whole world and it needs to be recorded because it's for all people throughout all of time. This is for everybody. Something's happened. And and I I know the people involved and and I want to write it down. And so he investigates and then he writes it down. Jesus' incredible, liberating, hope-filled teaching and all the things that he does. And he tells us that Jesus claimed to know God and and what he is like, and who God likes, and to be God. The story that I wanna explore today comes from Luke chapter 15, and it's a parable that has become incredibly well known, maybe the most famous of all of Jesus' parables, and it starts like this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So, so let's stop here and say this, that the tax collectors, they were considered so bad that they had a separate category for them, separate from the sinners. Like kids would go around saying, well, at least I'm not a, a tax collector. It was the lowest of the low. They were unclean. They couldn't enter the temple. They, they were distanced from God. In fact, some believed that they were hopelessly separated from God, and they were all gathering around to hear Jesus, which is, which is really cool, right? Jesus had something going on that even the tax collectors had to hear about. It was scandalous, especially in that world. But Luke is like this. He's like, hey, I get it. People who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Jesus made the unrighteous feel drawn in. What would the church be like if it had been like that for the last 2000 years? Well, it used to be, and, and uh, that's why we're all watching or gathered here today, actually. But the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And if he were from God, he would stay out of their way and he would come eat with us. But listen, if Jesus were concerned about guilt by associati- associating with those people, he would have stayed in heaven. You know what I mean? Like guilt by association with sinners. So everyone's there and Jesus sees an opportunity. And and here's what I want to ask you to do today. Join in on this story with me. Let me ask you back to the self-righteous or unrighteous thing for a second. Which one are you? Are you more self-righteous or are you more unrighteous? It's it's easy for some of us to lean more self-righteous. Like I can do that. It's, It's when you say to yourself or out loud, what's wrong with these people? How could they be that way? I'm better than those people. That's you if you lean a little bit Pharisee. The the other group is I'm not self-righteous. I'm a little more unrighteous. If there's a God, I'm not sure that God likes me. I just feel like there's stuff and shame and, and distance from God, and I struggle with that. So there were these two groups of people there with Jesus, and both of them were confused about what God is like, and so Jesus decides to explain it. And he uses three parables about three valuable things. And he says it like this. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Now, now, we have a hard time identifying with this. And so let's think about like uh, credit cards and children, okay? When you lose something of value, you don't console, uh, console yourself with what's not lost. do you? you don't say, well, I lost my eight-year-old, but I still have my MasterCard and my five-year-old. No, you, you focus on what is lost. And when it's found, Here's what Jesus says happens. He says, I tell you that, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. The, the idea of repent is to reconnect, to bring back into the family. And the people were thinking, so, so, so God views unrighteous people as something valuable that got separated from their owner? And Jesus was saying, that is exactly right. And you can hear them saying, but Jesus, that's not how we view them. And he was saying to them, well, that's why I came. Is that how you view people not as right as you? What if if we got over that? He he tells another story. Then after that story, he says, or suppose a a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? suppose a woman, he says. And the women there listening were saying, he's talking about us. In their culture, they had no value whatsoever. They were seen as, as like little more than slave help, at least legally. And so when Jesus began to talk about women, everyone's ears perked up. In each of these stories, in every parable that he told, there was someone who was like the God figure, the good Samaritan, the story of the good Samaritan, it was so controversial because he chose a Samaritan to be the hero in the story. Well, here again, he does the unthinkable. He associates the hero, a woman, with God. This is paradigm shifting stuff. The significance of Jesus' words to and about women in the culture of his his day, it's remarkable. He was constantly raising their dignity level. Of every human being that he was around, he was always raising people's dignity level. And this was in a day where it was not self-evident that everyone was created equal. So he tells a story about a woman who loses one of her 10 silver coins. And the, 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 woman, uh, the, the women that were listening began to nod, like they know what a woman who lost a coin like that would do. She would find it. She would look and look and look until she found it. And, and then he tells one more story to illustrate his point. And it's the most famous of the three stories. He says that there was a wealthy man who had two sons and the younger one was waiting for his father to die so that he could have his inheritance. But his dad was not dying. And finally, the son loses his patience and he says, here's what happens. The younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now, both groups would have gasped at this. The boy wishes his father was dead. The boy should have been stoned to death. They would all agree on this. But the father does something that none of them would have done. He divides the property between them. Why does he do that? Because his son was lost and he wanted him back. He was already lost relationally to his father before he, even, he ever even left the house. And his father was willing to do almost anything. He wanted him back and so he let him go. The son takes the money and he runs. He spends the money, he runs through the money and, and what took his father half a lifetime to amass, he blows through it in no time at all and eventually he's broke. And one thing after another happens and then uh, a famine takes place. You know how like when we have an ice storm here or there's a prediction of one to two inches of snow on the ground, everybody runs to the grocery store for bread and eggs and milk because apparently like we all need to make French toast uh, when it does the, that kind of thing. Well, this is not like that at all because a famine is, is where there's no food like anywhere and so he has to get a job. Like he never had a job. He gets a job feeding pigs and now he's starving. Nobody's going to help him. And the audience that's listening to the story is saying, yes, like he is reaping what he sowed. And again, it's the first time that these two groups have ever agreed on anything together. And one day the son wakes up, he comes to his senses. He says, what am I doing? And, and maybe that's why you're listening today. Like you've looked in the mirror and you've asked Like, who is that? Like, what am I doing? Whose life am I living? Maybe what you've been critical of in the past is actually happening to you now. And it's not an accident that you're here listening to this. Jesus is about to explain to these two groups what God is like and who God really likes. He says this, I I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. My father's servants have it better off than me. I'll go back. I will try to explain myself to him. I'll go to my father. And Jesus' audience was like, hey, this is gonna be really good. We, we know what's gonna happen now because they knew what they would do. But they didn't know what the father would do because they didn't know what God the father was like, which is why Jesus came to explain what he's like to them and to us. And in fact, Jesus said, hey, if you've seen me, You've seen the father. Jesus said that everything that came before him was just a shadow, just a hint of God, but that Christ is the reality. John said it like this. He said, the word became flesh and became one of us and dwelt among us. Jesus came to take away as much of the mystery of God as he could so that we would have a relationship with the living God because we know his living son who became one of us. You wanna know what God is like follow Jesus in the gospels because he was God in in a body who came here. And it says this, Then Luke says, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him while he was still a long way off. The father who had been watching for him saw him and was filled with with what? Like, like if, if that father was you, what would you say? What would go in that blank? Filled with what? Filled with disappointment? With expectation? Maybe filled with apathy? According to Jesus, we've all been the son. At some point, we've all been lost. He was filled with compassion. He ran. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the crowd at that point was like, are you kidding me? This is, this is a terrible thing. The son comes and tries to give his speech but the father would have none of it it says but the father said to his servants quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet he says quick bring the best robe you know you know what he was doing you know what he was doing in that moment he was restoring him to sonship he was saying you're a member of my household like how would I respond? How would you respond? Maybe we should just wait a bit. That's maybe what I would say. Like let's just wait a bit. And let's just see if this really pans out. Let's give it a couple weeks. Let's have a trial waiting period and, and and then we'll talk about the ring. Then we'll talk about the robe. Then we'll talk about the sandals. Let's see how you do. The father was like, "No. This isn't about his behavior. It's about a broken relationship being restored." He says, For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. And Luke is saying, do you understand the implications of this? God does not see good and bad people. He sees lost people and found people. The Greek verb for lost is apolume. It's the same Greek verb that's in the most famous verse that you probably know. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes shall not apolume, shall not be lost to God, but have eternal life. Man, what if we saw people not as good and bad, but as lost and found? But there's another character in this story, and and this, again, is where some of us enter the story the the well-behaved firstborn older brother who made it all about behavior. He was doing what he was supposed to do. So their servant runs up to him and he says, hey, I've got some some good news and I've got some bad news. And, And well, it's like the same news, all right? Your younger brother is home. He, he won't come in, the older brother, even though his dad tells him to, it happens like this. He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and, you and, and have never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Dad, do, do you know what he's been doing? Because I do prostitutes. All right. You only tell that to mom and, and you killed the fattened calf for him. He doesn't deserve this. Jesus says that the father responds, who says anything about deserve? We're celebrating a restored relationship. He says, that, but we had to celebrate and, and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. I had to celebrate and be glad. He was dead and he is alive again. He was lost to me, but he's now, he's now found. Self-righteousness doesn't look good on anybody, especially not Christians in faith or like in politics or really anywhere else. The truth is that we're not any better. We were lost to God and we've been by his grace found. We were dead and now we are alive. So just for the next week, what if, what if you viewed people like that? What if I viewed people like that? Not as good or bad, but maybe just disconnected from God. Maybe they're my brother or sister, and, and, and how can I be angry with family? Luke is, is like, this is amazing, right? Like, like, if the world got their heart and their mind around this, it would change everything. But, but when we do, it means that we no longer size people up or write them off. And if your version of faith does that, maybe you have the wrong version, not the, the Jesus version. Maybe you aren't as righteous as you thought you were. And, th- and that's me too. When our right, rightness becomes an excuse to dismiss those who are less right than us, we're not right or righteous. Like, like, do you get disgusted with lost things? No, you go look for them so that you can reconnect with them. The father isn't disgusted with lost things either. Like he sacrificed half his possessions for them, and later in Luke's story, Jesus sacrifices his entire life to invite you back, and the you who sits across from you. Self righteousness it doesn't look good on anybody, especially, especially Christians. Let's pray. Father, would you help us grasp and understand how deep and how wide and how amazing your love is for us? That this is all about grace, it's not about behavior. Those of us who are uh, feeling unrighteous, would you help us know how loved we are and that through Jesus, you see as, us as righteous. And those of us who are self-righteous, would you help us to see that it's not at all about what we do or our behavior, but that it is about your grace and mercy through your son, Jesus, who died on a cross and stepped out of a tomb alive for us. We pray this in his amazing name, amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, We want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.